0: Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My baby sister who died when I was 10, she
2: was 2. And, you know, my dad, parents were crushed, my, but my dad was crying in a corner. Everybody's in the room, his sisters and his family and aunts, my aunts and uncles. Nobody was acknowledging him, you know, that for crying in the corner, mm-hmm. you know. And so I learned that, that, okay, you're not supposed to do that or it, nobody cares.
0: Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand in this moment content warning if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast please seek a helpline in your city hey my beautiful friend if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life please take a look at panic away for over 10 years now Panic Away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old carefree self back, the person they were before anxiety ruled their life. Panic Away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug free and highly successful and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's time to take back control of your life, your happiness, and your freedom. A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. Hello, my beautiful friends. There is no shame in your mental health struggles, no shame. If you are struggling, you must reach out for help. If you are listening to my podcasts, reading the HEAL blog and feeling like this is me, I am this person, I am struggling in the same ways as this person that I'm listening to. Or if you are at a point where you don't feel anything at all, that's depression Feeling numb, that's depression. Or maybe you worry about absolutely everything, that's anxiety. Maybe your mother triggers you every time you see her. Maybe you're struggling in your relationships. Whatever is going on for you, reach out for help. And if that help is looking for a therapist, I have to tell you the most repeated piece of advice that we have heard on this podcast is to ensure that you find a trauma-informed therapist. But what even is that? What does that actually mean? Go to howmyparentsraisedme.com, to the HEAL blog, and this week's blog post is called What is a Trauma-Informed Therapist and Why Do I Need One? It's important reading. And please pass it on to someone that you know needs to read it. I'll put a link to the blog in the show notes. Emotional neglect is one of the deepest traumas because it's silent. And it's really difficult for the survivors of emotional neglect to put a name to what they are feeling. Because feeling hasn't been a part of anything they've ever known. In families with emotional neglect, the emotional, the feeling part of life is totally dysfunctional. Tracy's mother was never given any real nurturing, love, or care because she lost her own mum at a very young age. Her family was struggling to survive and she left home at 17. Tracy's father grew up in very much an authoritarian household where kids didn't have a voice and where they needed to follow all the rules in order to be good enough. The combined trauma from each of those family lines was passed down to Tracy because her mother and father were completely unaware of their trauma or the effect that it would have on their kids, just like so many of ourselves and our parents. And Tracy spent a lifetime trying to figure out why she couldn't connect with her mum and why she had this feeling of being stuck and depressed. Even when Tracy's mum was in her later years, Tracy just couldn't create the relationship that she'd always yearned for with her mum. Please join me now for Tracy's story. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. You're a certified coach and you're passionate about deepening human relationships through better conversations, including the one going on inside of our own head. And I love that. You've also written a memoir called Running Away From Home, which is an exploration of the relationship you had with your own mother. You talk about growing up in the 1970s and seeing the perfect home and the supportive, stable, empathic mums in the Brady Bunch and Happy Days and all of those shows that were running for years and years and that we all believe was how families were or were meant to be. But yours wasn't like that. What was growing up in your family like?
2: Well, thanks for having me, Dawn, and thanks for doing the podcast. It's really important. Growing up and the way I grew up was, I guess I guess it was pretty typical from what I hear from other people who read my book, but it wasn't warm and fuzzy. It wasn't the, again, the happy days or, you know, leave it to be your mom. It wasn't nurturing in a sense. When I was researching my book, I found a term for it. It's called childhood emotional neglect. C-E-N. And it's where, you know, you don't have a specific traumatic event, it's not what happens to you, but it's something that fails to happen for you as a child, where your feelings are not acknowledged, your emotions are not acknowledged, you're not allowed to express those things, you don't see those, you don't see adults sharing feelings and emotions. So you learn to hide them. You learn to hide them in your life as you grow up. You learn to adapt. Of course, you think it's normal as a child, but they, it affects you as an adult. You, you don't know how to um, really build relationships or acknowledge others like they want to be seen. You, you Sometimes it leads to depression. And you don't know what you're supposed to be doing in your life. You're, you don't know what your purpose is. You kind of feel out of place. Lots of different symptoms for it, but that's how I, I grew up in kind of a world of not being able to express myself. So I never really learned how to, Um and I also learned that, you know, I don't blame my parents for sure, but I learned through the writing of the book that they had the same experience themselves. You know, it's just kind of something that you teach your kids and they teach their kids, et cetera. It's a cycle that I'm hoping to break a little bit here with what I've learned and, how i'm trying to improve myself so
0: yeah absolutely and and i was going to ask you about that because it is a generational thing isn't it and could Mm -hmm. you see that was what happened for your mother and father and then also for for their parents could you see that clearly sort of running through your family on both
2: sides yes in hindsight for sure you know again i never really blamed my parents but the whole impetus for the book was my relationship with my mother when she was older and moved to the town here with me because there were health issues and after my dad passed i just we just couldn't get along i couldn't get along with her i couldn't make her happy i couldn't just couldn't we could not see eye to eye we just butted heads the whole time It was very frustrating i just thought that we could we could you know be friends, so to speak, and do things together, or I'd be able to make her comfortable. It just was never going to happen. So that frustration led me to write the book, write about my experience with my family and look back and explore what my parents' upbringing was like as best I could. You know, didn't find a lot of history, a lot of their family is gone, but it did help me have insight. My mom was basically, you know, dirt poor, grew up with a sharecropper's daughter and didn't have a nurturing. Her mother died when she was 10, you know, so she didn't get that and she didn't understand that. She ran away from home when she was 17, never looked back. And my dad was brought up in a very authoritarian style household. And so that was what he was learned. He learned and what he brought to us is that's how you raise children, you know, very strict and you act this way and, they don't kids don't talk back and you know not necessarily having that good relationship if you will as far as talking with each other so I learned that and again don't don't blame my parents it's just what they came up with so really writing about it and exploring it really helped me come to terms with that and peace with that and my relationship with my mom in the end that it wasn't going to be how I wanted it to be
0: yeah and it isn't about blame, you know. It it is yeah. it is just about discovery. I mean, all of it, it. It's not about us blaming our parents for for how they brought us up. They were really just running on autopilot. They were yeah. running on programs that they needed to survive. And when you talk about your mother losing her mother at such a young age, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think you a lot of people really just there's so much grief there. You just very any emotion, don't you, mm-hmm. in that situation, and you don't really learn how to be in touch with any of those emotions because it's just too hard,
2: right, right, yeah, you know and i'm a, I'm a mother of three, you know three adults, children now I can't believe it, so you know, I tried to break some of that cycle, but you know with them and trying to be more nurturing more caring, I am obviously could have done a better job. I'm not a perfect mother. But I but I think that awareness has helped me know what I wanted to be or what I didn't want to happen for my kids. So hopefully they're in a better space than I was.
0: Yeah, and that's all we can do, isn't it? We can only yeah. do our best. And some people are never aware of those things. But it is that authoritarian parenting. I know that my dad was quite authoritarian, and it means that you don't really think for yourself. You're always looking to somebody else to really tell you how to think, how to feel, and even very basic things like if I'm a good enough person, it, it's all those things, isn't it, that comes from mm. authoritarian parent parenting and it can be the way that we live our lives forever unless we actually become aware yeah. of it, I guess.
2: Yeah, where I got stuck was following rules. I mean, That was how I got along. You know, and I wanted to please my dad. You know, he was the parent I wanted to please, and talking in the book about being daddy's favorite or daddy's little girl, and so I was a rule follower, you know, and still am. I have to break myself of that. That I, you know, trying to get my head out of that rut to see what's really out there. It, I'm really stuck a lot in my, you know, rule making and rule thinking thinking. So that's been tough for me recognizing that. I do have options. I don't have to, not not necessarily break rules, but there are options out there. I can be creative with with the, what I do with my life, and I don't have to look to others to tell me what to do. That's been a struggle and a big learning curve for me, and very freeing, actually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is so freeing, isn't it? When you finally you kind of go, actually, I can do what I want, whatever I want. I can do what I want. It's like yeah. I, I know exactly that feeling. You know, it is that thing of being kind of contained in this box of doing everything correctly i 100% yeah. understand that and that emotional neglect that comes from that type of parenting i always i always think of that as silent trauma really because i mean mm-hmm. there's all the big loud traumas aren't there yeah. that are very obvious and we can say oh you know that i was i was abused and beaten but emotional neglect is very much trauma. And what, what happens to a child when they're emotionally neglected?
2: A child just learns to adapt and hide their feelings, hide themselves and become someone else. I mean, that's what I did. I became again, whoever my dad wanted me to be, the, the good girl. You become someone else, the pleaser, that kind of thing. And, and, and as an adult, again, you don't know how to ask for help. You kind of, gauge your life and your decisions about what other people might do or say or think you should do you don't really know how to express your feelings to yourself let alone to other people you know you you have those feelings emotions bottled up and you don't even know what they are so one they scare you when they do come out and two you don't even have a mechanism to feel and i think that's so important if you can't feel the bad things or really Feel emotions. I don't think you can feel good things. So it really kind of shuts you down as a person to, to be a human at all the facets of a human you're supposed to be feeling emotional, love, connection, those kinds of things and be able to make good purposeful decisions for yourself because mm-hmm. you, you know, your feelings and emotions are your gauge in the world, I think. And so if you can't feel them, you don't have a compass. Your compass is broken.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think there's so much shame around feelings when Mm -hmm. we grow up in those environments. I know as a child, if I ever felt anger about anything, I also felt so like such a bad person for feeling anger because Mm -hmm. it was so much like, well, you're a terrible child for feeling anger. You know, that's right. that was the feeling that that we got. And I think when we're growing up, when our parents are not able to express or understand emotion, there's, there is a lot of shame around all kinds mm-hmm. of emotion, isn't there?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and especially when it's ignored, right? Like it's not acceptable. And so, yes, it's shameful. And I grew up in a Catholic household. And so that shame was very... Real, not just in my family, but when I went to, you know, religious services and spoke to a larger group of people, grandparents and aunts and uncles, that was the tone, you know, of the feeling of the room that, you know, you did what was right. You stayed played by the rules. And I remember I have tell a story in the book about a baby, my baby sister who died when I was 10. She was two and you know my dad parents were crushed my but my dad was crying in a corner everybody's in the room his sisters and his family and aunts my aunts and uncles nobody was acknowledging him you know that for crying in the corner mm-hmm. you know and so i learned that that okay you're not supposed to do that or it, nobody cares so it's that that's hard <laughs> hard to see that and acknowledge that so that's how it was growing up and for those bigger hurts and pain points of life to the small ones you know breaking up with a boyfriend or whatever it is Those just don't get talked about or acknowledged and you just learn to shut it away
0: yeah that's extreme isn't it when when somebody's in that sort of grief and nobody can go to that person it's like everybody is standing so heavily in their own conditioning in that moment that we just have to you know ignore that and move on it's like oh my gosh that's it feel i can just feel like i can't breathe when i think about that it's suffocating it's suffocating exactly Yeah. yeah and i think as a as a little girl when you're unable to connect with your mother it's sort of like a a sense of grief almost isn't it that you you don't have the mother that you Feel that you need is—is it a grief?
2: I think so. And again, growing up, I didn't know that grief. It was just the way our relationship was. And I have four sisters. They would tell you the same thing. It's like it was very. She's very distant. You know, not—not the mother. Again, as adults, we see not the mother. We really would have liked to have. So yeah, there is a grief there. There is a, and I think that's what came with her moving down here i thought maybe we we could make it all better i could make it all better we could have this great relationship and i just maybe after all those years of being apart it, i forgot you know or or just wanted to make it up that there wasn't this chasm between us yeah i i grieved i grieved that day when i really realized i wasn't going to change her i think that was grief and you said that cuz i don't really rec- didn't really recognize that word until now that Yeah, I was grieving that day. I realized I'm never going to change her. She's never going to change. And that relationship I've always wanted is not going to happen. It was very sad, very, you know, but I had to realize that and quit trying, banging my head against the wall to try and make something happen that wasn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure there are many, many, many women who share that in in varying degrees, you know, because I think mothers in – in the past they really have struggled because they they've grown up in a different world to mm-hmm. where we are now a lot of the time haven't they and it really has been about survival and and they just are not in touch with those sort of emotions in any way and it it's heartbreaking because we do want that mum that just gathers us up and right you know, gives us the hug and gives us the love and when it's just not there Yeah. What sort of things did you do differently with your kids?
2: I think tell them I love them, you know, be there. You know, I don't even remember like the light touches from my mom, except for a very few times, you know, back rubs or hugs, those kinds of things. So I made it a point to do that for my kids, especially when they were really young and just, you know, touching them, rubbing their back, hugs, those kinds of things, sitting with them. Trying to be just more nurturing in general. And, and I know that I've, I've fallen down a lot as far as especially talking, communicating verbally is not my strong suit with them. But I, but I hope that them growing up, they, you know, knew I was there just by the, the physical touch, physical presence. So that was something I knew I could do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think for a child, it's, it's knowing really that you're on their side. Mm-hmm. and you're there for them. And I think often with a parent that doesn't show any emotion, we just don't know that. We don't know that they're there for us. You know, maybe, I think sometimes they are there for us. We just have no way of knowing that.
2: Right, right. And I think you see that in hindsight, you know. And I, it's funny, my son, he's 24, he's my youngest, but he said something over Christmas. He sent something, a little meme or a quote you don't realize, and as a child, that Santa, all the work that Santa really did was really your parents, you know, just trying to make this special experience for your your you as a child, as a young child, and making that day special. And so, I think that was an acknowledgement, at least to me, that okay, we did something right. Help them know that we were trying, at least at least for that day. So that was that was special to me that he wrote that, um, especially as a 24 year old.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I understand, and so I know you help your clients learn to get in touch with their feelings. What is that process like when you're working with your clients?
2: It is sitting with them in describing the feeling, really understanding what it is and where it's coming from, and not being afraid of it. You know, I I will share, and I'd shared in the book. You know, I struggled with depression for a while. And once I really acknowledged the depression and quit resisting it, it was kind of like magic gone that it, it, it came alongside me. It wasn't, it wasn't on me anymore. That makes sense. Like a burden or blanket, but it was next to me. It was beside me. So it didn't quite go away, but I was acknowledging I was facing it. And so that really just made this big difference. Like I can accept this dark part of me. I don't like it very much. (laughs) but I can accept it and be okay with that. So I really try to help clients do that. You know, what are you feeling? Really get down to what you're feeling emotionally, if they can express it in thoughts and words, but also the bodily feeling. You know, where is it in your chest or in your heart or in your head or neck or wherever? And just sit with it. Just sit with it for a while. Be there. Acknowledge it. Don't resist it. You know, I think that's huge. What we resist persists. So that's really a big, huge first step, being aware of it, you know, acknowledging it. Again, people with CEN don't even know that they're suffering sometimes. They don't know what that is. So being aware of it, accepting it, and then talking about it, you know, for me, it was writing about it. And I really wrote the book for me to really just get it out and understand what was going on with my relationship with my mother. The more I wrote and... I realized, oh, well, this can really resonate with other people. I think it was helpful, but it was so helpful for me to write it down. So I encourage people to write it down. Even if you don't keep a journal, just write down these feelings, this one piece of a feeling that happened because someone said something nasty to you or whatever. Write it down and or talk to somebody. Talk to a coach. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a really good friend. Just to get it out and hear it. Let it sit. So those are really kind of what ways I help, first steps anyway, to help people deal with that because I think you have to be able to feel it and get it out and express it. And it may take a while for some people. Sometimes it's just not that easy to understand what that feeling is, and to get it out if it's been stifled for so long.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Those feelings, I suppose, they get very buried. And it is about feeling it in our body because I think a lot of people don't connect that the emotion is held in our body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many people with chronic illness and yeah. unwellness. And personally, I spent years trying to solve all these different health issues. And, it was really just coming from all the stuff that I was holding in there, yeah. you know? And people just yeah. don't kind of, people just don't understand that once you feel those emotions and release them, it's so, so important, isn't it? For yes. everything, for your mental health and your physical health.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. it was like a light bulb went on for me when I, again, just accepted that, okay, this is my depression. I named it. How are you today? You know, I could feel it coming on. I could learn to understand where it came from, what the limiting thoughts were that made me feel that way. And it's. I'm learning to accept, you know, negative responses in my body or reactions, negative feelings as opportunities to grow. So really going into and exploring them, figuring out maybe not really figuring out where they came from because maybe they're really deep and a really, I don't know, old, old trigger or something, but at least acknowledging that it's there for whatever reason has really helped move on rather than ruminating over things or getting so down that I can't function, et cetera. Yeah.
0: Yes, and it's interesting when you actually do allow yourself to listen to those things what you find out Mm -hmm. it's interesting when you sit there and say what is it that's actually yeah causing this headache or this neck ache or what yeah what do i need to release it it's something i never ever knew was a thing so for me it's like being able to do that now it's so releasing isn't it
2: there's a fabulous exercise i learned in training about those bodily feelings, a neck ache or a side ache or whatever, and just doing some sort of a, you know, kind of acknowledging it as a thing, person thing or an object and, you know, giving it a name, getting it out here in front of you, giving it life so that you can explore it and talk to it. It sounds kind of weird, but it really, really helps to just acknowledge it and hear yourself talk about it, you know. Mm. Again, we ruminate and think, think our thoughts are... Everything and perfect and all we have. But when you actually talk about it out loud or write it down, it's, it's like, wow, (laughs) that's really not what I thought it was, or it makes so much more sense somehow. So I love doing that with clients, helping them feel it, you know, feel that, whatever that is, even if it's just all they think is it's a physical sensation, but bringing it out into the open and to see what it is. It's really fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, do you feel like you're past your depression now, or is it still with you at
2: times? I have, I have again, so I can kind of sense when I'm feeling that feeling a little bit, but oh, I'm like, I'm feeling really kind of yucky. And so, I kind of backtrack and say, where did that start? For instance, yesterday I was having a conversation with someone and I was dropping something off, and then I drove away and I started feeling kind of Odd inside, like down, and started kind of going down, and I was like, "What? It just happened, and it was something she said, not intentionally, not you know, in a in a mean way, but was something she said that triggered some kind of thought in my head, that a, a, a negative thought. So I just kind of backtracked and just sat with it and said, "Okay," and and I wrote down a, a few things about it, just to see what it was and where it came from, and I, that that's that's how I cope with it. So. I call that my depression, that it's there and I just recognize it and put it out in front of me. So I don't have the the days where I'm depressed anymore, for sure, but I'm susceptible to it, I think. I didn't yeah. watch it and think about it and be aware of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's so beautiful that you can now see that like, oh, okay, now I, I need to address it now because I think it is yeah. that thing of you can go in down that slippery slope, can't you, where you sort of go into the depression. I think that's the key, isn't it, to sort of seeing where the triggers are. And yeah. so much of the fear that we feel is really our nervous system keeping us safe. What What have you done to help in getting your nervous system to to stop running your life, I guess?
2: I, you know, I meditate. I just, I try to be more present in where I am. If something comes up again, like in the car yesterday, it's like, okay, where am I? What's going on? What just happened? Just increasing that awareness of the moment that I'm in and realizing that my thoughts are not everything. They're oftentimes not true. And so I really just try to ground myself, even unintentionally several times a day if I'm busy 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 I just kind of stop and look around feel where I'm standing or sitting you know smell the air or whatever just try to ground myself in the moment and that really really helps me stay even I call it you know stay calm and even
0: yeah it's like sort of bringing yourself back to center isn't it really
2: yeah and
0: authoritarian parents do create people pleasers right so mm-hmm. that's that's what we do as a as a child with with a parent that's telling us we have to be perfect we learn to please them and how have you reduced that need to be a people pleaser in your life
2: oh i don't know if i have <laughs> i'm very i'm kind of learning about that there you know listen to I think it's Arthur Brooks and some other people talk about the, you know, you have idols in your life. It's either money or pleasure or fame or power. You know, mine's fame, not to be famous, but to please people. I want people to like me. It just is. So, I mean, I'm just more aware of it. Dawn, I don't know if I have a solution for that, but it's being aware of that, that that kind of drives some of my decision-making and how I interact with people. You know, so I want people, I know I want people to like me. So I may say, try to say certain things that they want to hear. So I'm just very aware. of, And maybe I'm just in the beginning of really figuring that out too. I think it's, when you're pleasing other people, you're not really thinking of yourself either. So maybe I've done some work on that in the past few years, understanding myself better and what I want and what my needs are. Yeah,
0: so. I think it's such a journey to take yourself on where you decide that you have to put yourself first it's, mm-hmm. it's it's not easy to do it when you've spent your whole life putting everybody else first but putting yourself first and and just deciding that I'm so worthy and lovable and I have to put me first because in the end nobody else will yeah Really nobody else puts us first. Everybody needs to look after themselves and we really need to really back ourselves and say, I'm going to, and that's not a, it's not like saying I don't care about you or I don't, I'm not going to worry about what you need. It's just about putting what I need first. I think it's, it's not easy to do it, but it's, it's a slow process to, Start bringing things in that put boundaries up, create Mm -hmm. boundaries, ensure that people understand what you will and won't accept. It's all of those sort of things, I suppose, isn't it?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think that boundary thing is really good, but it's also very scary to step out into what you want if you're not used to it because you hear all these things about or I do hear about all these things other people want you to be and do and their expectations that has guided you for so long you know how do you really trust what is inside of you what your internal compass is saying because you're not sure of it you haven't used it in my case haven't used it in so long so it just takes a while to get used to it and to learn how to read it but it can be Mm -hmm. scary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for many people, it's not something you can just change into, is it? It's really a Mm -hmm. discovery. And it's really just, I think it's just asking myself, what do I actually need in this moment and just allowing that. It sounds really simple, but sometimes it's just about breathing and and saying, what do I actually need and -hmm. and just allowing that to happen. That's, That's something that I've found. Really helpful because you can't change everything, everything can't change, but you can start just becoming aware of what it is that I need. Mm -hmm. So, the mother daughter relationship is pretty complex. What advice do you have for other people that have been in a similar situation to you around navigating a relationship with a mother who is emotionally? disconnected
2: yeah it's interesting because when I wrote the book and the first comments were about that you know I write it that it was a dispassionate relationship and someone said that's the term that's the term I have with my mom it's dispassionate I don't hate her I don't know if we really love each other either so that that word is so true I mean it just it's just the right word for my relationship with my mom but I think that, again, I was trying so hard on my end to please and to change her, but it was me who had to change, you know, and not, not disown her or, you know, be mean or negative towards her, but I had to change me and my expectations of what that relationship was going to be. And that's the only way I could come to peace with that was changing how I viewed it and how I Uh, presented myself when I was with her, you know, to be the best person I wanted to be. You know, I do this values work where I ask people, so what do you value in your relationships with certain people? and How do you want to be? You know, I don't want to be that negative, mean, mad daughter. I never wanted to be that. I just don't. But I was was acting that way. Mm -hmm. But that's not what my values told me I wanted to be. So then I started to think, okay, I want to be calm. I want to be nurturing. I want to be patient. What does that look like when I'm in her presence? It's hard. (laughs) But I could practice that and put that forward rather than my immediate reaction of, um, you know, being triggered by her and what she said. So I just, and I, I do that with other relationships and other situations, like what kind of a neighbor do I want to be, for instance? What kind of a coworker do I want to be? You know, and, and that just helps me through difficult situations because again, helps me keep my triggering down. I'm going to get triggered, but to really understand who I want to be. That, that's what I would advise. It's like, who, what kind of a daughter do you want to be or son um, do you want to be? You know, what does that look like for you? You can't control what other people are going to bring to the table, but you can control how you act and, and how you can bring that value to the table and to that relationship so yeah
0: yeah not easy no it's not easy because we do just want that other person to change don't we i know i know we just like we want to blame just, too yeah, yeah can you just can you just give me some love can you just be the person that i need you to be it's hard
2: and it's a it's a letting go too right mm. you know especially i think i think with mothers maybe just especially with mother-daughter relationships you want that mother and you want that nurturing you want that there's a the whole mother wounds and books and re- research on the mother wounds like what's vacant there that hole there you want filled so badly that it's hard to let go it's hard to let go of that thing you're not going to get but yeah. you have to kind of fill that yourself
0: yeah absolutely you do have to fill it yourself it is about self-love i believe in the end and then when you fill yourself up with that love It's not necessary to get it from everybody because we are trained to believe that we need everybody else's love, I suppose. That's what we're trained Mm -hmm. to believe from birth that I need to have a loving mother, I need to have a a partner that gives me everything, you know. And in reality, nobody can give us everything, and, and nobody can love us in the way that we really need. I mean, very few people can really love us fully. In the way that we dream of being loved you know so we really do have to do that for ourselves writing your story i imagine was a very cathartic experience and Mm -hmm. there's so much power in sharing our stories because i'm heard it's like when somebody hears your story they feel less alone and you've right. told your own story in your book it's called running away from home why was it important for you to write that story
2: it was important because of that one moment coming away from my mom where i couldn't i couldn't figure it out i couldn't figure out the, the situation i couldn't figure out what was going wrong what i was doing wrong and just realized that it was me it wasn't her i had to figure it out i just i just couldn't let it go because i i wanted closure on it somehow. So that's why I why I wrote the book. And again, it was for me to write it out, to think about it, to process it, to understand where my parents came from, things that happened in my childhood and what brought me to that point in time with my mom that I couldn't figure out. So it was very cathartic. It was very helpful for me. And you know, I know people say you shouldn't look back or you can't change the past. Absolutely. But for me, just understanding that and, again, learning about childhood emotional neglect, just put a name on it for me, you know, that one, I'm not alone, (laughs) that it is something, it happens, and it's not your fault, And but there are things you can do about it. So it was just very helpful, and I do, and that's kind of the reason I ask people to write things down about their pain points, if you will and sharing it. I think there is so much power in the story and sharing your story. It just makes that we are meant to be connected with each other. And we if we don't share stories or listen to other people's stories, I just don't know how you can be connected. That's just my opinion. And I, I've just seen how powerful it is. Didn't expect it to reach so many people or mean so much to so many people that it has. And that's that's made it worthwhile and putting myself out there. Like I did. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Cause it is a massive thing to put yourself out there. It's yeah. so personal to share your story. And if somebody's listening to this who's struggling with their relationship with their mum, what sort of things are you sharing in your book that they need to know as a reason to go and
2: buy your book? It it shares that early years and some of the good early years it shares The the pain points that the struggles I had growing up and certain, you know, alone feelings I felt growing up just explores that. And then, you know, I explored the why, you know, how did it happen with my parents? Why did they act this way? Where did they come from? And that kind of led to, you know, my depression and kind of floundering early career, those kinds of things that just never felt good about myself. And then raising kids, it kind of, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not an autobiography, like my husband likes to call it. But oh, yeah. It just hits those points where I had pain points that there was something there that brought me back to how I was raised and I couldn't get around or eventually did. And what I learned from my own research and own inward thinking and, and inward work to get around and get an understanding of you know, it wasn't just about my mom in the end. It's just about forgiving people, forgiving others, and forgiving yourself for all sorts of things. To I don't know, kind of just put it, it just connected the dots for me in my life in a lot of ways. And, and really kind of closed a chapter, if you will, on that. So I didn't have to struggle so much. That does mm. make sense. I felt I was struggling all the time. I didn't even know what. But but writing about it and and understanding it my past and how I was brought up just kind of put closure on a lot of that.
0: Yeah. And when you said connecting the dots there, I think that is that is the part about reading somebody else's story is that they've already connected a lot of the dots for us, so we yeah. can read the book and it's like, oh, that's exactly what happened to me. And yeah, yeah. So it's it's a beautiful a beautiful way to connect with somebody's story, but it is also often our own story as well. I know that you're, you're a coach and you're working with clients. What do you want people to know about working with you? What's your main focus when working with your clients?
2: I like to work with people who are ready to for a change, ready to do something different, ready to get out of their head. They understand that they're kind of stuck. I know that's pretty broad, (laughs) but I was pretty stuck for a long time and learned different ways and different tools to help that, some we talked about today. So those are the kinds of people I like to work with and personal development where you want to go, goals, those kinds of things. So really helping people turn inward and see what's there for them that they have and they can't see for themselves.
0: Mm. And Eddie's just having that other person, because sometimes we just can't see it ourselves, can we? yeah, and it is just about that feeling of being stuck so if if you're listening to this and you're feeling stuck, please get in touch with Tracy Tracy. your book is called "Running mm-hmm. Away from Home." I'll put the link to the book in the show notes, so please go and grab yourself a copy of this book if you are struggling with your relationship with your mom if you're feeling stuck in your life, and where can we find the book? Where can we find how to work with you? And I know you do retreats as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. You can find me on tracyberger.com. It talks about my coaching group workshops, the book, and I'm also hosting a Peace and Purpose Retreat in April, April 16th through 20th here in Gainesville, Florida. We have some openings there, so check that out. It's a nature immersion retreat, three full days of glamping and getting in touch with nature, getting in touch with yourself, meditation, some kayaking on a peaceful river. So we're going to explore these things I talked about, being aware of where you are, your surroundings, how to accept where you are and your surroundings, and taking some action towards your values. So. You can find me
0: there, TracyBerger.com. Oh wow, that sounds amazing! I love the sound, mm-hmm. especially the glamping part. That's yeah, <laughs> that yeah.
2: sounds so much better than camping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's always now. it's always
0: my thing. If I have to go camping, it's got to be glamping. Well, Tracy, yeah. everything you shared today has been so valuable. It is the story of so many of us that we have lost touch with our feelings. We do feel very stuck and and our relationships with our family and our mothers in particular. And, and just hearing about your book as well, because sharing stories really is the key, I think, to creating a better world. So thank you so much for everything you've shared today. It's been really great to connect with you.
2: Thank you, Dawn. I appreciate you having me on.